morning, Crossroads Church. How are you? It's great to see you this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Tyler. I am a part of the pastoral team here at Crossroads Church, and I just got to say, I absolutely love to worship with you all on Sunday morning, to hear you sing. Are we thankful for our worship team that leads us in praise every Sunday morning? Hey, if you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. We are studying the book of Revelation chapter by chapter, pretty much verse by verse right now. We are in Revelation chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, you can open there. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can raise up your hand. We've got some ushers that would love to give you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, you can keep that Bible, take it home with you, because we believe that when we open up God's Word, He speaks to us. Amen? So, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, or sorry, 14 this morning. I'm going to read, we're going to pray, and then we are going to get on into it. Does that sound good? Are you with me? Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, this is the final letter to the seven churches here in the book of Revelation. Let's read it together. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is God's word, and it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot, Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's intense. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as also, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you promised to meet with us. That when we open the scriptures, we're not just opening some other random book. No, we're opening up your living word. And so God, we draw our hearts, our minds, our attitudes before you. And we ask that you would speak, that we would have ears to hear what you desire to say to us as your church, as your bride. I pray for those that may need encouragement, that you would encourage them. Those that need comfort, you would comfort them. Those that might need some direction or slight course correction, that you would provide that for them. God, I pray most importantly that you would reveal yourself to us, that we may behold you and stand in awe of you, that we might glorify you and bring good to those around us. Jesus, we love you. We welcome you here. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. 
So today we come to the final letter of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. There are seven letters to seven churches. And it's really kind of cool because in these letters, each and every one of them, what God is doing is he's revealing himself to the church. He starts every single letter with a vision to them. And we've talked about this idea that it's important to remember that these letters were not written to Crossroads Church. They're not written to us. They were written to specific churches at specific times in specific locations. They're not written to us, but they are written, preserved, and recorded in Scripture for us. So they're for us. Why are they for us? Because in these letters, they reveal to us Jesus, and they give us warnings that apply to us today. So these scriptures, it would be wrong to try and look at them and try to find which one of these churches is Crossroads Church. Are we Ephesus? Are we Sardis? Are we Philadelphia? Are we Smyrna? That would be an incorrect approach to reading the book of Revelation. We're not trying to find ourselves in which one of those, but... A better way to read it would be to ask the question, okay, what part of these churches are in us as crossroads, as a community, as a church? And even as us individually, what aspects of these churches are somewhere inside of us that we might behold Jesus and become more like him? So it's not that we're looking for ourselves. Are we Philadelphia? Are we Sardis? Are we Ephesus? It's, it's more like, okay, which one of these churches are within us? And in an even better way to read them is say, okay, who is Jesus revealing himself to them? And where can we find not us in the churches, but what is Jesus doing in his church? What vision of Jesus do we see here? How do we stand in awe of the person of Jesus? And we come to this conclusion by reading Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus is found with his church. Jesus is found with his church. If you want to find Jesus in this great grand world, yeah, you can look at the, you can go on a hike, you can go surfing, you can see these aspects of the glory of God all around us. Absolutely, yes. But where do we find him revealing himself? To the church. Where do we experience the work of his salvation? In the church. Not in the building, but in the people of his church. Why? Because the church is his bride. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus in the church because Jesus loves to be with his bride. And the beautiful thing is this, is that even when the bride goes wayward, even when the bride doesn't have it all together, even when the bride, us as the church, can be faithless to Jesus, he's faithful to be with his bride. He pursues his bride. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus in the church. Revelation 2 and 3. He's, he's immersed in the community of the church. He knows their works. Every single one of the letters. It starts with this vision of who Jesus is. And then he says, I know you. I know your works. I know the details of your life. I know exactly what is going on. Jesus is with the church. He's in the church. He knows the details of our life as Crossroads Church and your life individually. 
He knows you. He's with you. This is what we see in Revelation 2 and 3. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus with and in his church. And what is he doing? He's revealing himself. Each one of these letters starts with this vision. And each one of these visions to every one of the seven churches gives a little aspect of who Jesus is. And when we actually combine the vision given to every one of these churches and we put it together, it reflects the vision given to John of who Jesus is in John chapter 1. So what is God's primary, what is Jesus' primary role here in writing these letters? He's revealing himself to everyone in the churches because this is what happens. When we find out who God is, we find who we are. When we find who God is, we also find who we are not. When we look at who God is, we find who we are to become. And this is how every one of the letters is kind of organized. It starts with this great grand vision of who God is, and then it goes to, I know your works. And in that section of, I know your works, he either gives them some kind of encouragement, like, hey, right on, this is who I am, and you're kind of reflecting me here. He gives them some kind of encouragement, or he gives them some kind of correction, saying, hey, in light of who I am, this is, you're not really reflecting me here. This is who you are not. And then it goes from this encouragement to this correction to this motivation at the end of every one of them. Like, hey, if you look at me, if you behold me, if you see me, if you're, if you're taking in who I am, then you're motivated to become more like me. And this is the structure of every one of the letters. And we kind of see this big idea here. That when we behold Jesus, what is Jesus doing to the church? He's revealing himself to his bride. And when we behold who Jesus is, we become more like him. We become more like him. So we see this in the seven letters to the seven churches. To the church in Ephesus, they were the ones who walked away from their first love. So who do we find Jesus there in Ephesus? Jesus is the one revealed as the one who's walking among the lampstands. He's walking among the churches. He's engaged with them. To the church in Smyrna who suffered from persecution and was facing death, Jesus is revealed as the one who died and came back from death to life. To the church in Pergamum who faced false teaching, Jesus is revealed as the word that has the sharp two-edged sword. To the church in Thyatira who tolerated the worship of false gods, Jesus is revealed as the true God whose eyes were flames of fire and feet of burnished bronze. To the church in Sardis who is sick and lethargic, Jesus is found as the one who's complete, he's whole, he has the seven spirits and the seven lampstands. To the church in Philadelphia who is rejected by the lying synagogue of Satan, Jesus is revealed as the true and holy one who has the keys to the true temple of God. In other words, it's a very simple idea. As we behold who Jesus is, as we behold the identity of Jesus, we find who we are, who we are not, and who we are to become. Every single one of the church's identity is interconnected with the vision given by Jesus. 
I love to talk about identity. There's identity crisis going around all the time. Who am I? How do I view myself? And there's this self-introspection, and you look in the mirror, and narcissism, there are all these different things, and it comes to self, 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 self. And the Bible's overwhelming response to identity and to self. You want to know where you're at in life? You behold the person of Jesus. Our sense of identity is found in him. Every one of the churches is identified, is defined in light of the person of Jesus. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, or verse 8 says. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Notice there, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into his image. We're almost done with the month of January. How's the New Year's resolutions going? Are you doing well? Are you becoming the best version of yourself this year? Are you, are you, are you knocking off, clicking off like, hey man, I have, remember I told you all I wanted to run this year? Do you remember that? I told you that at the beginning of the year, I said, I really want to run in 2024. I want to be a running man. Bruce Hill has texted me, hey, let's go on a run. I have yet to run this year. <laughs> I have failed for the seventh year in a row. Listen, we want to be transformed. We want to be different. We want to change. We want to become more like Jesus, I hope. Like, we want to become different types of people. We want to grow out of certain habits. We want to become more secure in Jesus. And the way in which we do that is we behold him. We behold Jesus. And so to every one of the churches, he's revealing himself. Behold me, look at me, take me in. In light of who I am, you can find yourself. This is where identity is found. It's in these visions, in these revelations of Jesus. It happens in every one of the letters. So let's look at the vision or the revelation of Jesus given to the Laodiceans. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is how Jesus reveals himself to them. He says... And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Here, Jesus is revealed as the amen. Now, Paul the apostle would say, all the promises of God are found in Jesus, yes and amen. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these promises. But this goes even deeper here in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14 is actually an echo and a fulfillment of a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 65. Let me read it to you there in Isaiah 65 verse 16. We read this. It says, those who pronounce a blessing in the land will do so by the God called Amen, the God of truth. Those who make a solemn pledge in the land will do so by the God called Amen. Past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my sight. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. 
So the amen, the faithful and true witness that he's revealing himself to the church in Laodicea is actually an echo from Isaiah chapter 65. Well, the context of Isaiah chapter 65, that there would be one who comes who is going to do a restart on this thing that we call earth. I don't know if you've noticed, but earth is kind of wild. It's kind of intense. It's like bad news after bad news after bad news. Even thousands of years ago, they were ready for the restart. They were ready for something new. They were ready for like the guts to be torn out. Let's, let's redo this thing. And so Isaiah 65 is a prophecy that yes, Jesus or this figure, the amen, the God of amen, he's going to come and he is going to do a restart. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And the Jewish people anticipated this moment. They were excited about this moment. They thought it was going to be this great political kingdom that would arise out of the state of Israel, but that's not what happens. Jesus comes, this king, and he begins to inaugurate this different sort of kingdom, a kingdom that is now, but it's not yet entirely, and we know that he's going to come again, and his kingdom is going to come to earth, and that's our prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what Jesus is revealing to the church there in Laodicea is that he is the amen, that he is the one who is establishing a new heavens and a new earth. He is the true and faithful witness on the other side of eternity, saying, listen, I promise I'm going to create all things new. So this is how he's revealing himself to Laodicea. And then he says this at the end there of that vision. He says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That line there, the beginning of God's creation, is not a reference to creation in Genesis chapter 1. It's the beginning of God's new creation in the resurrection. The person of Jesus bled, died, crucified on the cross for the sins of the world, was buried in grave, but rose again victoriously. Amen? He's alive today, and as he rose victoriously, he's bringing this resurrected life. He is the firstborn of the dead. He's the firstborn of this new life. He is the head of a new life that death cannot stop. A new life that starts with the person of Jesus and will go on into eternity. Did you know this? Did you know when we read in the book of Romans that the gift of God is eternal life? That when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and it says you will be saved. Did you know that eternal life starts the moment that you are born again into God's kingdom? Eternal life does not start when you die. Eternal life begins when Jesus invades and comes into your life. We're never really going to die in one sense. Death for us is just a doorway into resurrection life. And Jesus, he's the firstborn. He's the beginning of this new creation. This is the way that he's revealing himself to Laodicea. And right there, we can just pause the whole story and just be in awe and be amazed that, man, there is so much hope in the person of Jesus that regardless of what this year, 2024, is going to bring, that Jesus reigns, that Jesus is in control. That Jesus is establishing a new heavens and a new earth, and we are a citizen of his kingdom. And he's coming soon. 
This is how he's revealing himself to the church there in Laodicea. This is who he is. So now we move on to the next part of the letter. In light of who Jesus is, now they are given insight into the reality of their situation, into the reality of who they are. And in this letter, there's no encouragement. There's no affirmation. It gets kind of intense. Let's read it together here in verse 15. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is the reality of their situation in light of who Jesus is. Jesus, he's the beginning, he's the true witness, he's faithful. He says, listen, this is who you are. You, you're lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, at first, when you first come across this passage, I've heard many, many, many preachers preach this portion of scripture like it's the Katy Perry song, Hot and Cold. They're like, you're hot or you're cold, you're in or you're out, you're yes or you're no. I don't know the rest of the song. I like, I'm terrible with lyrics. But that's how, that's how they preach it. It's like, you're one or the other. But that's not what Jesus says here. If you go with this idea that there's a spiritual temperature that he's talking about, you're either spiritually hot or you're spiritually cold, and if you're lukewarm and I spit you out of your mouth, then what he says next is he goes, I'd rather you be cold or hot. So if you stick with this interpretation that it's all about hot or cold spiritually temperature-wise, like I'm either on fire for Jesus or I don't believe in Jesus. I'm apathetic to him all. And if you're anywhere in the middle, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's intense. And it doesn't make sense because the next word Jesus says, he goes, I'd rather you be cold or hot. So according to that interpretation, you're saying, Jesus is saying, I'd rather you be an unbelieving, apathetic unbeliever rather than someone who knows Jesus. That's not the idea that is coming across here. It's not Katy Perry's hot and cold. Now, it's true. Jesus does say you're either for me or you're against me. That's true. It's just not the context of what Jesus is saying here in this portion of scripture. This idea of either being spiritually hot or spiritually cold means... If you go with that interpretation, it means that if you're anything less than being passionate for God all the time, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, we would all be in trouble. I mean, think for a second of the overwhelming idea throughout Scripture that we as the church are the bride of Christ. How many of you are married in the room? Have you been in the honeymoon phase since your honeymoon? Have you been hot toward your spouse the entire time? Because the moment you're not, oh, they're, they're going to spit you out of their mouth. That doesn't make sense. We'd all be in a lot of trouble. This is the analogy of, of Jesus with his church, the bride. And, and listen, we can be for Jesus and still struggling sometimes. Amen? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I, there, I can be doubting. I can be less than on fire. But I'm still for Jesus. 
I love them. I don't want to be this way, but I'm just in this, this rut. I'm struggling. I'm in a valley spot. But if you go with that Katy Perry analogy, you're either hot or cold, you're in or out, then that means any valley moment you get in, Jesus, you're on the verge of being spat out of Jesus' mouth. So that's not what he's saying. What then is he saying here? He's talking about usefulness or uselessness. You see, hot water is either useful, or hot water is useful, cold water is useful, but lukewarm water is useless. Think coffee for a second. How many of you like coffee? I love coffee. My kids wake up really, really early. So I have an espresso machine at my house. I've had it for since we had our first kid. I was like, I'm going to need this thing. I get excited in the morning to wake up, even if it's early, because I know I'm going to make myself a piping, steaming, hot Americano, or sometimes a latte. Don't judge me. I love it. Okay? Every single morning. In the afternoon, I love an iced coffee. Especially on days like this. It's going to be warm today. I want in an iced Americano. I want to cool down. I want to be refreshed a little bit. But the moment you take a sip of a lukewarm coffee, I spit it out of my mouth. It's useless. It's not good. This is more the idea that Jesus is going with. You see, back in that time, Laodicea, the way that the city was set up is that there was no natural water spring there in Laodicea. So they they had to pipe in water from two different areas. And by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm, it was gross, and it was just nasty. So Jesus is saying, just like when you take a sip of your water, your nasty, lukewarm coffee, you want to spit it out of your mouth. That's, that's, that's what I want to do with you guys in this moment. Why is that? Why is he saying that they're, they're not good for anything? Why is he saying that, that, why is he having this type of reaction? As we continue to read here the letter, we're given insight. Read with me in verse 17. It says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Why is it that the Laodiceans were like lukewarm water? Why is it that they were useless? Why was Jesus having this type of reaction to them? Because in the Laodiceans' mind, the reality was is that they thought They were rich, prosperous, in need of absolutely nothing. And Jesus says, in reality, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're pitiable. What's going on here? Notice there in verse 17, the Laodiceans, Laodiceans, I am rich, I am prosperous, I need nothing. The Laodiceans' view, the Laodiceans' mindset was all self-centered. They were focused on themselves. A moment ago, we just sang, I love the song, Build My Life. We sang together that Jesus is the firm foundation. Jesus is the rock, amen? Amen. When we build on the rock, that home's going to be useful. But the Laodiceans, they weren't building on the rock. They were building their lives on their riches their prosperity, they were in need of nothing. They were building on sand. 
So what does Jesus say? You're like lukewarm water. I cannot use you. You can't use a house that's being built on sin. You're going to fall apart. You're useless. Now, he's saying it in love. In a moment, we're going to see that he says, I'm disciplining you because I love you. But he's showing them the reality. It's like an inspector who comes to your house. They're like, listen, look, your, your, your foundation is cracked. You got to rebuild. Otherwise, it's going to fall down. This house is useless right now. It's like when the mold inspection company came to my house down in San Diego County and said, you got to get out of here. This mold, this home is useless right now. Jesus is coming in. He's inspecting how they're living, the works that they're creating. And he's saying, listen, this is useless right now. And the reason is, it's because you're building on yourself. You're self-centered, you're self-focused, you're self-reliant. You don't, you're not in need of anything, is what they say. This isn't reality. In reality, you're in need of everything. In reality, you're poor, blind, naked, pitiful. Whoa. See, at the heart of the problem of the Laodicean church is that their source of security was in their material prosperity. And right there is an incredible point to ask ourselves, where is our security placed in? What are we building our life on? Are we overwhelmed as this next year's coming? There's all these different types of perspectives and views of what 2024 and the future is going to hold. And if we're not too careful, we're going to get absolutely overwhelmed by the insecure world that's around us. So Jesus is saying, you're building everything. You think you're all good. It's not a problem that he has with material prosperity. The problem is that their source of security was linked into it. The market could crash any time. Riches can be taken away. So he says, instead, come and buy from me, is what he says to them. Come and buy gold refined by fire. Come and buy from me. Jesus is inviting them in, saying, I have riches that moth and dust cannot destroy. I have riches that Paul references in Ephesians chapter 1 as these abundant riches that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ because we're in him. And so he corrects them. He shows them. He reveals to them the reality of their situation. That they think that they're going to be all good. They think that they're secure. But in, in fact, there's a crack in their foundation. The source of the security is wrong because they're not dependent on the person of Jesus. And so he says to them, come and buy from me. There in verse 18, read it along with me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Saying, come and buy from me, come to the source you're sourcing all your own things. You're, you're, you are the source of your own security, Laodicea. Come to me. I'm actually the source of everything that you're looking for. I am the source of true riches. I am the source of true garments that's going to cover your shame. I am, the, I am the source of this true eye salve that will anoint your eyes so that you can see. 
See, the Laodiceans, they had this wealthy, prosperous society. One of the things that they were known for was for garments, for clothing, for fashion, and for eye ointment. And all their trust was placed in the context of where they lived and the prosperity around them. And he's saying, listen, you're building on the wrong foundation. Come to me. I have riches that no one can destroy. I have gold refined by fire. The riches that I have, fire cannot touch. The clothes that I have are going to cover your shame and your nakedness and, and all this. Now notice this. He reveals to them the pitiable poor state that they're in. But he doesn't want them to stay there. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? That Jesus finds us exactly where we are, and he's honest with where we are. He doesn't butter it up and tell him, hey, it's okay, buddy. Like, come over, and I'm kind and forgiving. He tells him, like, listen, this is the reality of your situation. You're poor. He doesn't hold anything back. He gives them the truth of who they are. He meets them where they're at, but he doesn't leave them where he found them. Listen, this is the actual state you're in, but I don't want you to stay there. I want you to experience the riches of my grace. I want you to experience the fulfillment of being clothed in me. I want you to experience sight like you've never seen before because you're looking through the lens of Jesus. And this is what he's inviting them into. At moments, at first glance, you read a letter, you're like this, you're like, gosh, that's so incredibly intense. But Jesus had to show them the reality of where they are to get them to where he wanted them to be. And the same is true for you and for me. I mean, it's like me with my kids. I tell my kids, like, you know, buddy, he wants to drop in onto this big ramp so bad. He sees Sam the kids doing it, and he wants to do it, and they're killing it. And he's, he's a couple years younger, and he's four years old. He's like, Daddy, 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 I want to drop into the big ramp. And I got to tell him, like, buddy, you just can't, dude. You are going to eat it. Like, listen, I knocked out my teeth as a kid. It's a bad game, man. Like, I still am having teeth problems because of it. No, you don't want to drop in on the ramp. You can't do it yet. But this is what you got to do. We'll get there one day. The way Jesus interacts with us, with his church, with his bride, he's honest with where we're at. But he's honest with where we're at because he wants us to get us somewhere else. And so he tells them, listen, you're poor, you're blind, you're pitiful, you're wretched. You're looking through life in the wrong lens. You're building on the wrong foundation. But come to me. Come and buy from me. Come to the source. And I will give you true riches. I'll give you true wealth. I'm going to give you true garments. You're going to be seeing like you've never seen before. So, so far in this letter, we've seen two things. We've seen the revelation of Jesus to them. We've seen the vision of Jesus. Jesus is the beginning of this new creation, which reminds me of the reality of their situation. This new creation, Jesus, is the beginning of it all. He's bringing a new heavens and a new earth. And they were living life as if that didn't exist. The Laodiceans were living life as if Jesus wasn't enthroned. As if all we have is now. Jesus is saying, like, hold on. Wait a minute. You can't carry all these riches with you into eternity. 
Remember the new heavens and the new earth. Like we're living for this now. Yeah, you can, you can have prosperity. You can do this thing. But remember, that's not the source of your security. That's not what you're building for. We're ushering in, in a new kingdom and new earth. He reminds them of the reality of their situation. And then he provides this remedy for them. This remedy here in verse 19. Let's read it together. He says to them, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. This remedy is twofold. It's repentance. We'll get to the next one in verse 20. It's repentance, though. Repentance, Pastor Sam says it all the time. It's the changing of their mind. They need to be zealous and behold and realize and repent the changing of their mind. That's, that's all it took was a changing, realizing they were building on the wrong foundation. They were living for the wrong kingdom. They were viewing it as if they only lived once. YOLO, shout out to the millennials and the Gen Zers that know the term. That's how they were living. He said, no, there's so much more to come. Repent, change the way that you're thinking. You don't need to get rid of all those things. Change the source of your security. Change the way you're thinking. Come to me, realize I am the source of the security that you're looking for. And again, just pause there and enter yourself into the story. Enter 2024, take that bridge over. Things might just get crazy in your life this year. And we can have the tendency to try and like stockpile the retirement account and the garage and all these different things. And that's not wrong. But if that's the source of our security, that's the difference. What's the source of your security? Be reminded that regardless of what this year is going to bring, whether it's chaos in this country or chaos in your life personally, that there is, a, there is the one, there's Jesus who is holding all things together by his word. There is Jesus who is establishing a new kingdom and a new earth, and that is the earth you're a part of. It's beautiful. So repent, so change the way you're thinking. View your life in that lens. Secondly, Verse 20, receive. This is the remedy. Repent and receive. Verse 20, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So repent, change the way you're thinking, and then receive me. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Think of that imagery. Jesus wants to be with his bride. Jesus wants to be with his church. But where do we find him at the end here? He's on the outside. He's excluded from the church. Why? Because they were living their life with any without any dependency on God. They're going through the motions. They're doing their own thing. They're full of self-centeredness and what the Bible refers to as pride. And, And Jesus says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
So where do we find Jesus here at this lukewarm because they're useless, because they're self-centered, because they're building on the wrong foundation? Jesus is on the outside, but is he angry? Is he tearing them down? He's knocking at the door. Why? Because who's inside? His bride. It's actually an image taken from the book of Hosea. Crazy book. If you're familiar with the book of Hosea, God tells the prophet to uh, Hosea to go and to marry a prostitute. And she go and she hoards herself out even in their marriage. And he's going and pursuing her. And the whole illustration, the book of Hosea, is that God is Hosea and we are like the bride. We're like the prostitute. We get distracted. We, we start looking at different things for satisfaction and security. And what does God do? What does Hosea do? What is Jesus doing to Laodicean church? Honey, I'm home. Can I come in? I want to eat with you and you with me. I want to spend some time together. I want to be with you. And this is the overwhelming, beautiful message of Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus wants to be with us as Crossroads Church. Jesus wants to be with you personally. And he's knocking. And he's pursuing So what's the encouragement? What's the remedy to their self-centeredness as they're building their life and all these different things and ignoring the kingdom and come, ignoring what God is doing? The remedy is to repent, change the way you're thinking. Remember, there's an even greater reality at hand. We're going to talk about it next week. There's an even greater reality than everything going on in this world. It's the reality of God that he's ushering in. So it's repent, but it's also receive him personally fellowship with him, dine with him, be with him. Because in that posture, in that place where we're with Jesus, where we're beholding him, we realize there's no safer and more secure place to be. What's the promise? If you receive him, then he will grant with you to sit with him on his throne where he's sitting with his father who's in heaven. What's that a picture of? Security. What's that a picture of? Jesus being in absolute control. What's that mean for you? And for me, it means that we don't have to be. It means that we simply allow him in and he's going to provide that sense of security. And in that, he also provides a sense of identity. Because as we behold and we spend time with Jesus, we realize who we are, who we're not, and who we are to become. Amen? Let's pray together. And if you would, if you would stand with me and join me in a final word of prayer. If you feel comfortable, you can just put out your hands like this in a posture of receiving Jesus. Like, Jesus, I I do want that. I want you to be with me. Father, we, we want to receive you. Jesus, we want to be with you. We want to place our sense of security in who we are. We want to place our sense of identity in you. And so we welcome you into our church, into Crossroads Church. We welcome you into our lives personally. Would you give us eyes to see what you're doing among us? Would you give us that heavenly, beautiful perspective that you are in control? 
Lord, we want to be amazed and marvel in the riches of your grace that comes through a vision of who you are. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, your people said.